is now time, 10.33, for our community stories. And today we have a very special guest. He is the superintendent of the District 77 Mankato Public Schools, Dr. Paul Peterson. Good morning. Good morning, Karen. It's great to be with you and all your listeners. Great to have you on the air. And so it's been a weird year. Let's just start out, period, right? That's and and thank you for being with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my kids have chosen to stay at home. I've got a 13 year old and a 16 year old and they have not gone back since spring. And it's just that they don't feel safe going back. What percentage of students have come back? Because I think it was um, this week when the Mankato middle and high school students returned to hybrid learning and uh, then the middle school personnel. Let's see it. Yeah, they did the transition, correct? Right, right. Yeah, it's actually started today with one of our middle schools, and then the rest of 612 will transition back to hybrid tomorrow. So what percentage of kids are so, actually coming back versus the number of kids doing distance learning? Right, yep. So if, if we start with our earliest learners, our pre-K-5 learners, we have had, th those students have been in person now for quite some time um, since the middle of January, and and uh, and we, we see that uh, staying true. We've got nearly 600, 650 or so elementary kids who opted into distance learning only for this entire school year. So that's the largest, um, you know, we, we've said this all year, our largest elementary school is not a building this year. It's actually at home. It's working with teachers who are also teaching remotely. At 612, um, those numbers are I mean, I, I was looking at our numbers at East and West just yesterday. We're probably at about 240, 250 out of the total student body who opted into distance learning only, um, a little less at our middle schools. And so we're, we've been right around that 20%, 25% all year and, and um, with a little bit of moving back and forth. Some people have gotten more comfortable wanting to come in. Um, we also have seen some, uh, maybe for some different reasons as they've learned about us moving back into hybrid starting tomorrow, have said, not ready. We're going to go distance learning for um, at, at this stage in the game. So it's it's been we we've tried to be as flexible as we can all year. Now I have noticed a difference because, like I said, my kids have only distance lear learned uh, from fall semester till now. It seemed like the things were just sort of being developed and people figuring out things because pretty much my kids were on their own all fall and really no contact with teachers. It was sort of a a vast wasteland, and now finally they're being more in tune again now. Is that based on experience that you heard a lot that you felt that you needed to get back to having more contact and connection? Right, I mean, if we, it's kind of been in three phases. If you think all the way back here into last spring when schools shut down, I mean, those, those doors slammed fast, you know, and districts had about eight days to get a distance learning model, first off process that in their own head, let alone implement it. And you know, I have a I have a colleague in the in the region who says that really wasn't distance learning. That was more emergency. That yeah. was just what what are we doing? And let's just get we need to get through about twelve weeks of school. This fall, um, trying to figure out what is the best balance between uh, classroom. I'm sorry, uh, direct teacher face to face work, uh, maybe virtually, um, and then how that balances itself with some independent time. It it took us. Uh, quite a few weeks to figure out how to strike that right balance. And I think when we landed on both at the middle and high school, more of a synchronous approach, um, that seemed to gain some traction with our kids to keep them going, keep that contact. Our, our teachers, you know, I can't say enough about how hard our teachers are working in this new environment. And I, I do think that, you know, here we are in February and it's, it, it 
it's almost feeling like we're getting into a rhythm with how to interact appropriately distance because distance learning isn't just here's your work we'll see you in a week it's there really does need to be that human interaction albeit not in person but um doing it doing it across the across the computer a lot of people say that in many ways this will be a lost year for students in terms of learning because it's very difficult for some students. Do you have any feelings about that in terms of being a, a lost, some lost learning, and maybe we're going to have to make that up somehow if we ever get back to what's quote normal? Yeah, yeah, that whole that whole idea of of getting back to something that yeah. feels normal life, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I and I gotta say, I mean, our schools and and it's not just in Minnesota, but across the country, the 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 topic about learning loss and opportunity loss. Um, I mean, something that people are starting to dig into is, okay, so what's been lost? What, 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 what is it that really needs to be recaptured? Because if it's truly been just this wasteland of a year, which I think many would argue it, it hasn't been quite like that, um, like the timeline of a, of a person's schooling, pre-K through 12, if we would say, okay, the last year and a half has been a complete nothing, well, by the time they're seniors, they're going to be like 10th graders. Well, of course, that's not that's not gonna cut it. They're gonna have to be yeah. ready for that next level of, of life. So we do have work on our hands. I mean, to figure out what is the most essential things that kids maybe missed. Maybe didn't miss it, but maybe it wasn't done with so much, as much fidelity or as much intensity as you typically would do in a classroom. Um, and not all of that can happen over a summer. You know, there's a lot of time and attention now talking about what are we gonna have 9,000 kids take summer school? No. But it, but it, we certainly are going to need to invite in and accelerate. I think rather than us trying to catch up, it's more accelerating learning. So when when people do hit a more typical year, they're um, that they, they get back into that flow. But it's going to affect things for quite some time, and and um, that's going to be a big challenge. Well, I know colleges are even talking about some of them not doing the the way admissions are usually looked at in terms of testing scores and things and are, are talking about maybe even uh, making them more easy to get in, in in some ways because they realize some of the students have had difficulty in in the learning process and maybe don't get the big scores like they used to because they're, they're not doing learning the normal way. I do think that that's, that's a really good point, Karen. And I do think that when you look at the counselors that we have in place at our high schools, um, that that liaison between colleges, families, and kids making sure and, and you know the, the I, I suppose one of the you know one of the positive it's not a positive but it's something that uh, for us to consider is that higher education is going through the same thing um, and so they're they have been um, receptive to how high schools are demonstrating learning I mean a lot of our schools including ours back in the in the spring went to pass fail grading because of just how um, how disruptive those weeks were. Well, if you were a senior last spring and you were banking on getting into some level of schooling, I mean, all of a sudden a pass shows up on your transcript where a higher education institution is thinking, what is that? We don't take passes. Well, um, they, they've had to relook at that and that's been a, it's been a good partnership. You, you mentioned that that grading system now. I've got a middle schooler who, and it is that sort of that pass. It's improved or or needs improvement, that kind of thing. Why did they decide to go to that model? And will more um, all ages be going to that model instead of the A, B, C, D, 4.0 grade system? Right, you know, the the, the 4.0, the A through F, that's, it's been around a really long time and it served a lot of kids and a lot of 
a lot of schools um, quite well. But as, as we learn more and more about reporting of learning, um, there are some there are some kids um, and there are some types of learning that that system misses. And so what um, Mankato schools uh, at the elementary started quite a few years ago now, now it has moved into our middle school to really take a more state. We, we know that Minnesota adopts standards every so often and those standards are the expectations for learning. Um, we don't talk in our communities and that's that's on public schools to actually make sure people are aware of that there are wide bodies of standards and benchmarks that the state has said, this is what kids need to know. And so if the state has said, this is what kids need to know, our reporting system should line up with that to make sure that the kid knows that they are on track ahead or behind um, and also their families and their parents. Now, the trick will be that as that sort of mindset shifts into high schools, how then does standards-based learning, how does standards-based reporting jive with higher education that is pretty pretty deeply rooted, um, conti continues to be in the traditional system. And I mean, we have, it's funny that you mentioned that because just yesterday I was talking with our director of teaching and learning and some of the, the early work group um, talks with our teachers at the high school, with our high school principals at that level, they understand that this thing's going to have to be a blend um, because um, the, the reality is, is that kids aren't in high school forever. They go, they go to the next level and our system of reporting better match up with where they're going next. But is this happening across the country so it's not just us or are we unique? Right. Yeah, yes. Yep, standards based and, and standards based reporting is really the tip the, the, the top of the pyramid. It starts with your standards based curriculum and standards based instruction and then standards based assessment. And then as you move through that, it it's just logical to then be sharing out with your stakeholders, with your kids and your parents, this is how this is how your student is doing on these on the standards that we are teaching. Um, and, and it, we probably could talk about it all day long, but when in, in K-12, but especially at the middle and high school, when you, when you look at tra traditional grading practices and we say um, she earned or she got a B, boy, that could mean, that means a lot of different things. What is a B? What, and what is that B based on? If it's a science class, does that mean that, sh that he or she knows X percentage of the content? Um, we know that across public education, unfortunately, um, sometimes grades are based on things that really have very little to do with learning. Um, grades have been based on attendance. Grades have been based on participation. Grades have been based on if you're able to get along with the teacher. Or if your teacher's um, pet, maybe. <laughs> right? <and> so <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. So what what standards-based reporting is is an attempt or a movement to do is all those things are really important too, but let's hold the report. The what what does Paul Peterson actually know about biology? Um, and then if we want to report on the other things, can he cooperate with others? Great. If, is he on time? Awesome. Because parents want to know those things too. Right. But what about the biology? This is where Paul lines up with the standards of biology or chemistry or English. That's the that's really what this. Uh, what, what this initiative is about. And like you said, it's across all learning institutions in pre-K-12. 
I got to tell you, I got to give kudos to the teachers because this has been a difficult switch for a lot of them who've traditionally done classroom lectures for years and years. And of course, you know, my husband's a professor and he's had to do that switch too. And, and it has its challenges. But I've talked to some teachers, a um, particular high school teacher that volunteers here, and he says there are some kids, he works with some special needs kids, that they just don't show up anymore. There are kids, he said, we have not seen since the beginning of the year. He says, I've even gone to their house, you know, to get them mm -hmm. out of bed practically and, and things like that. And, and that's what worries me is these kids that are sort of getting lost. Maybe they don't have parents that are encouraging them, or maybe the parents are at work so they can't make sure they're on their class time on the online, et cetera. So what is kind of happening with, with that? Because I know it's a really concern of some of the teachers. You bet. It's a, it's a concern of the teachers, the parents, the community, of, of district leaders. It's everyone. And one of our, um, actually one of our local um, colleagues who works at the state of Minnesota, I think the way that she talks about this, this has been nothing short of tragic for students and for then the, all of the people who love and care for our students. And so what you were just describing, I mean, that that isn't just, a, oh, I wonder if kids sometimes aren't checking in. It's a reality. Yeah. And so what it does is, like the teacher that you're talking to, people are knocking on doors. They're making, uh, secretaries are making phone calls. Social workers are contacting and just going. It's easier now than it was last spring because last spring we were in the lockdown right. where, I mean, we, school districts were prohibited from actually, I mean, you, we couldn't go out and do home visits. Now we're able to do so. The other thing I would say is that at all of our levels, even when we've had to dip into distance learning with our K-5, six, like I said, 612, getting out of distance learning is a really good thing. But even during distance learning, we were bringing in some of our highest needs students, students with disabilities, students who maybe are learning a, a second language, students who just need that um, adult contact. Everybody needs it. But there are levels in sure. which people where it is a, um, it, it's, it, it's much more pressing that we put eyes on them and and keep them not not so by gum they get their work in that's great <laughs> and we want to keep them academically learning but there are safety issues there's safety security well being warm you know a warm building hot food um, that we, we've had to. Um, We've had to change what kind of the definition of what school is about, and um, it's been it's been a big part of the year. You know, and I worry about kids too who maybe are in abusive situations. Whereas before, teachers were mandated reporters, for example, and now they're just not seeing them, so we don't know what's happening to them. And I I know that's a concern for a lot of folks. It, it absolutely is, and we are very fortunate in our community, as you know. There are so many partners. There are partners in the nonprofit world. There's partners in the governmental agencies. There's partner. There's so many um, folks who have their eyes on our kids and families. It's very difficult for people to hide in a community like ours. Um, there are just some horrific stories in larger urban areas when the pandemic started last spring, and even through early 2021, where, like you said, they don't know where the kids are, mm -hmm. um, the, and and that's. That's harder to do in a community like ours when people know each other, they know where they live, um, and we, uh, it's, it's not as if it's a matter of, oh, well, hopefully they'll show up when things get back to, to, to a more typical routine. No, we've, we've been pretty uh, aggressive in tracking folks down. How, you mentioned a, a typical routine. How long do you think that's going to be? Do you have any thoughts? Is there any indication that there will be normal, or do you think that this hybrid model is just going to be part of the norm? 
for a long yeah. time. Well, <laughs> I, you know what, part, part of what we've learned in terms of this, something that's been affirmed that we've known a long time is that kids learn differently. We know that. And for all of the challenges that a tremendously large portion of students and families have had with distance learning or even hybrid learning, like when they're at home and trying to learn through a computer and having assignments posted and listening to lectures or having small groups that just don't, for a very large majority of students, the, the more typical traditional school model works. Like that's kind of how systems, <laughs> that's how systems get developed because they work for most people. But what we also know is there are, there are students where distance learning um, fits fits how they process information. It fits their social, um, their, their sense of who they are right now and what they're comfortable doing. Um, so the conversations that we've had about distance learning is how long maybe are, will we be mandated to provide distance learning, but how long will we want to, to make sure that students who, who feel like that fits, we're able to support that. Hybrid is, complicated, challenging. And I, I even talked to one person who said of their list of in-person, distance, or hybrid, that hybrid isn't a very, very far behind third. Oh, it's, wow. it is um, this in and out, um, sometimes in class, sometimes online, um, sometimes synchronous, sometimes asynchronous, um, student, student sleep schedules, parents' abilities to kind of monitor student learning, um, or wanting to monitor student learning, but when learning isn't due, you know, at 10:30, but it's due on a Sunday night at 10. Right. Um, <laughs> I I can't imagine us sitting in a hybrid one minute longer than we would need to. <laughs> you know, because I've got a special a child with special needs. He's on the autism spectrum, as you know, and and this has been really hard for him. In fact, he was failing all of his classes because he. His processing, he's, well, you know, he's brilliant, but his processing in, in terms of writing and things like that is slower. So he isn't able to get like all his homework in on time and things like that. So, you know, you don't turn it in and it, you see these Fs and everything, but you could ask him and, you know, give him the assessment and he could tell you everything verbally. So, you know, it's that whole thing about learning the different ways that kids learn and how do you assess that? Yeah. And, and Karen, you just hit there. I mean, that, that example has not just for Mankato schools, but schools across the country saying, what are we doing? So, so we have students who, like you mentioned, process information differently, um, organize their thoughts and organize their workflow differently. Um, systems should be designed to support all of those. Um, and wh what that then sounds like is, well, what, are you going to have a system for 9,000 different types of learning? Well, um, maybe not 9,000, but, but... <laughs> Obviously, this this process has has demonstrated that it needs to be much more nimble, much more flexible, in how we determine do they do are they learning number one, and then and actually it gets back to that standards based grading that we were talking about earlier. Like so so it's about the learning. Take your son, he knows the stuff. Yeah, he does. Um, so 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 then we can ask like so then what are all these Fs about? Well, they're they could very well be, I mean, they're like more operational things. They're more task-oriented things. Right. He didn't get, you know, he knows the stuff, but he's got trouble putting, you know, the words down so he doesn't always turn things in. And, you know, even though it's in his head, he's not getting that piece of paper in. And so, but he you know, knows so it. So what, this met the standard, right. 
right? So then what we as leaders have to help our faculty, we have to support their learning to help support um, acknowledging and reporting them the learning of students who may do it differently, who may, who may demonstrate that differently. A, a traditional approach, um, that kind of one size fits all, you know, hopefully you're that one, <laughs> hopefully you fit in that box. Cause if you don't, it, um, it's tough as, as you know, and as, as I know from personal experience as well, that, uh, that gets really, it gets tricky. You know, one of the things I read recently is that a lot of teachers are either retiring early or getting out of the business because this is so stressful. And then I just read a report this morning about how some people aren't going into teaching because of all these challenges. Are you finding it difficult to find teachers? And are you finding any that are leaving because of the stress of all this? Well, the yes, yes to all of it. Yes and, and yes, okay. Um, yes, yes, yes. And who can blame them? I mean, when when we look at the important work that teachers do and how they impact the lives of kids, not just in the time that they see them, but the trajectory of their life. Um, teachers, are, teachers are what make the system go. It's they, they're what make the system go. And they also have the largest impact on those kids forever. Um, but for the very reasons that you identified the stress over what this has all entailed and what, what, uh, people like me and boards and directors, what we've been asking teachers to do. And teachers have gone into that work willingly, knowing um, that it's going to be really hard and challenging, but it's because of their dedication to kids that they're willing to do it. But that stress is, there's a, there's a limit to that. Um, and we also are very concerned that some of the criticism that teachers have received um, undeservedly over the last year um, by, you know, it, it seems more and more every, everyone's a critic or every, everyone's got an idea as to how they can do it better. Um, who blames people sitting at MSU or people who might be thinking about taking on a very, very important role like being a teacher, but then seeing the, uh, the level of uh, respect and, and um, the, the level of respect that sometimes it's not given and say, um, I think I'll take a pass. So we, we have been trying uh, really hard to make sure that we stick up for our teachers. Um, we share the great things that they're doing. And, uh, but we also know that it's not for everyone because this is not work that you can just check in and check out. It is, it's a lifestyle that um, thank God we have teachers who are continuing um, willing to pick up, pick that up. But uh it's it's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. You can talk to Jeff about this. It's difficult on, in a regular year. Right. Yeah. You know, and the other thing, a lot of teachers are talking about behavioral issues. Have that has that gone down since not not as many kids are in the classroom? Because some teachers I know have felt like they're babysitters at times, even though they want to teach, because they've got a lot of behavioral issues in classrooms. Has that gotten better? because of uh, not so many children in the rooms or, or yeah. hasn't yeah. that changed? I mean, right. No, you know, obvious reason be just because we've had so few students in at the 612. I mean, discipline reporting, um, well, reporting, suspensions, I mean, everything has just dropped. So this year, this whole year will be, you know, we'll, we'll have to put an asterisk next to it um, <laughs> when, when we're reporting out yeah. how many fights were there, you know, or how many suspensions. Well, virtually none. Um, well, I mean, that's good, but <laughs> it is good. It is good. But at the elementary level, I would tell you that our principals report to me all the time. When students returned back in January, 
it was like the first day of school mm-hmm. and almost like the unspoken, we are so happy to be here. And of course, K-5 kids, they are learning and growing and they're going to make mistakes and we're going to have to help them work through those things in a restorative way. But all of our principals have said it, there, there is a positive flow to what's going on in classrooms and in schools, um, out in the, out in the uh, playgrounds, we've had to rearrange a whole lot of staff. So we have staff everywhere right. that are able to interact with kids maybe before things escalate out of control or, or to a point where maybe there would be some sort of a discipline. So I think that has been a, a positive this year. Um, we know that as if, if, and when we reenter, when we reenter to a typical year next fall, um, we're going to have to make sure that we're able to, to capture some of those really good things that have happened and, and keep them going. How has this impacted the school district's budget? I, you know, you're having people working at home, and you probably have to provide extra um, equipment and things maybe for students mm-hmm. or, or staff, that sort of thing. Has this had going to have a big impact on the, the budget? Yeah, yeah. COVID has blown a hole in our budget, um, mostly because of enrollment. We are down nearly 300, 350 students that we were projecting for the 2021 school year. Is that because and, they're working from home or or why is that? I mean, because even if you're yeah. distance learning, you're count, you count them, right? So yeah, distance learning, they're, we're, they're still part of maps and, and we're counting them and, and that's uh, that they're a part of us. But we have we have seen a, a leakage of 350 students, students who have, especially um, we've seen a significant increase. And this is, this is true across the state of Minnesota in homebound instruction. So parents who have um, opted to do the, the teaching um, themselves. So homebound, I'm sorry, not homebound, homeschooled. Uh-huh. Schooling has increased. We've also seen a significant increase in private school um, enrollments for this year. Um, private schools have not um, been a part of the governor's safe learning plan. I think that it's been recommended and they've been offered up to to help or to to use those mitigation and using those requirements um, for how to run their private schools. But but private schools have been able to to forge their own way. And so the reality is is that most of our most private schools have been in person every day all year. And let's be honest, that is appealing. <laughs> well, and they don't have the numbers to, to deal with, though. I mean, I'm sure it's a little easier for them. Right, right. Yep, yep. So um, we've seen a, a few open enrollments, but our open enrollments have kind of stayed relatively consistent over the years. So 350, that's the budget hole that's been created. Um, 350, we, 350. 350 students. Okay, and how much does that equal in dollars? About three $3.6 million. Okay. In, in lost revenue. It's a lot. Um, lost revenue with extended time for having after school programs, lost revenue with community education and rec because of virtually all of community education is fee based. So when you're not ho- holding tournaments and clubs and for over a year, that's a that's a budget beater as well. So we are looking this year at a $5.3 million expenditures over Ouch. our revenues. Ouch. And then we are, and then we are anticipating next year, next year's budget to be impacted by some um, some big concerns that are coming out of St. Paul. We know that the state of Minnesota um, has very few dollars to work uh, work with, um, and uh, this is a funding year for public schools. 
And so historically, we have been pretty, I mean, we've been thrilled that school districts have been seeing a 2% increase in the general education formula every year. Um, that is nowhere near a done deal at the legislature this year. And so we're budgeting for um, kind of worst case scenarios. And so we're, we're gonna be laying out a plan, we've laid out a plan with our staff that we're gonna make significant reductions for next school year. Um, not, that is not unique to Mankato Area Schools. It's going on across the, our state and our nation. I know higher education is, is uh, looking at very similar things just based on the reality of COVID-19. Um, but there has to be a light at the end of that tunnel. And, and we feel as if we can continue to provide high, high quality, great education with, with teachers who love and care for their kids, that's gonna get people back and it's gonna help us return to a more of a normal budgeting process too, because it's, um, COVID has really um, wreaked havoc. When you say reductions, are you talking a lot of staff, teachers, all of it? Yeah, we're, we're going to look at every element of our system. You know, we've got, you know, $115, $120 million, you know, mm -hmm. annual budget. Um, and like every, you know, pre-K-12 system, most of that is is in people. Uh, people from our people who are in the classrooms, people who are running schools, people who are uh, working in our kitchens. And so we're going to have to take a look at all elements of our system to uh, make sure that the budget that gets approved by our board here in the next few months for the next fiscal year, we need to be able to show them a balanced budget. And, and there's, and the only way we're going to be able to do that is by bringing down our expenditures for next year. Paul, that's a tough job. I don't envy you right now. <laughs> it's a tough job. Uh, I have a, one more question. We're out, we're out of time, but uh, have yeah. any of the teachers been vaccinated or are, are they scheduled to be vaccinated soon? I know that's a concern of getting educators vaccinated. You got it. Yep. And we are well on our way. We are oh, good. Blue Earth County. Yes, we are on our way. Um, that has been um, that has been topic one, two and three about um, COVID-19, moving everything from mitigation to then we're doing a whole lot of testing. And I tell you, when we get those phone calls from Blue Earth County or Nicollet County that they have 50 doses, 100 doses, um, we, and some of the some of those I just sent a memo out to our staff some of the, the timing that people have in order to get to one of those clinics, sometimes it is, we need you there by three o'clock. Wow. Or we need, we need you there by 3.30. And so that's a long way of saying, yes, we're doing we, what you we can. tiered our system. We have our highest risk uh, personnel, whether that's paraprofessionals or teachers, and we're working our way down that. We have uh, nearly 1,500 employees um, that will eventually be offered up a vaccine. And we're... Uh, like everyone else, we are really hoping that that thing speeds up as fast as possible to um, make it happen. Well, I want to thank you for your time, and I'd love to revisit with you how things are going as, you know, time goes on. So we'll be back with you. Right. But we've been talking with Dr. Paul Peterson, the superintendent of the Mankato District 77 school system. Thank you so much for your time and, and all the best to you. Thanks so much, Karen. Yep. Great to be with you. Yep. Bye-bye. All right, always great to uh, chat with uh, our community folks and glad to have Dr. Peterson as a guest here on the show. It is a little bit past 11. It is 